Hi, it's Ellen, and today we're going to be covering um, the Nazi Party's social policies. So firstly, let's talk about youth groups and children. The Nazis had clear aims for young boys and girls. Boys were to be the future of the Reich um, as soldiers, and girls would be the future of the Reich as mothers. So, in terms of what the Nazis aimed to produce in terms of their children, they wanted a new form of German citizen who was obedient, who was physically fit, who was dedicated to the Führer, who uphold, upheld Volksgemeinschaft, and they wanted girls to bear children and boys to fight. And the Nazis pursued a policy of indoctrination to achieve these ideals. And this was firstly achieved through education. Nazis were actually quite anti-intellectual. More in emphasis was placed on physical fitness um, in comparison to um, intellectual pursuits. By 1936, there were two hours of PE every day. From 1935, all textbooks had to be approved by the Nazis. Coeducational schools were discouraged. Um, girls' education focused more on languages and home crafts, as well as history, biology, and fitness training. Um, and Napalas schools were also um, erected in the Nazi regime. And these were special leadership schools, um, which were established from 1933 for boys who were going to be prepared as the future leaders of the Thousand Year Reich. And then teachers also had to buy into this indoctrination through education. By 1936, over 30% of teachers were NSDP members. Um, teachers were pressured to join the National Socialist Teachers League, um, which was the NSLB. And by 1937, 97% of teachers had joined. Um, in November 1935, all the university teachers um, signed a declaration supporting Hitler and the Nazi regime, as well as having to join the Nazi Lecturers Association. And then the other prong to the approach about children was youth groups. So girls on the age of 10 to 14 joined the Young Girls Group, which was the JM. From 14 to 18, it was the League of German Maidens, which was the BDM. And then from 18 to 21, they joined the Faith and Beauty Group, which was the GS. Similarly for boys, between the ages of 6 and 10, they joined the Pimpfen, which was the Nazi Cubs. From the ages of 10 to 14, they joined the Young German Boys, which was the GJ. And from 14 to 18, they joined the Hitler Youth, which was the HJ. As well as sport, camping and other activities, there was military training as well for the boys. And as the 1930s wore on, Nazi youth groups focused more and more on military preparation. In 1936, all youth organisations other than Nazi ones were abolished and membership for Nazi youth organisations became compulsory. However, there was a degree of opposition um, from the youth. The first group we're going to talk about is the Edelweiss Pirates. Um, they enjoyed activities such as camping, hiking, music and singing. Um, and the group um, first became organised in 1934 and by 1939 there were 2,000 members. At first, Edelweiss Pirate groups were just warned um, by the police. Um, however, later they became raided or arrested. And after World War II, um, the state began to take more severe action against them. We also had um, the Swing Youth, which was um, characterised by children from the upper middle class, and they were influenced by um, American culture, such as jazz and swing music, and they were quite anti-political, um, including Nazism. So historians have um, various interpretations about Nazi policy with youth. Wilt in 1994 said, as many as 95% of German youth supported Hitler. Um, it's quite a big claim, and I think we should caveat that it's very difficult to measure support 
um, for the Nazi parties, given it was a totalitarian dictatorship. Um, and that's where um, new breakthroughs are happening in this kind of school of thought. Fisher in 1995 stated an entire generation was not only miseducated but misused. Housden in 1997 said for all its attractions support for Hitler amongst German youth was quote less than total Um, and that shows the opposing view to Wilt Um, and Pouquet in 1987 said that there was a growing crisis in the Hitler youth by the late 1930s and during the war it led to quote a massive opposition movement of German youth. So this shows very um, differing perspectives about the success and efficacy of Nazi policies in indoctrinating children. So you'll need to kind of consider up the pros and cons of these arguments and evaluate this for yourself. So in terms of opposition youth groups against the Nazis, we firstly had the Edelweiss Pirates, which was more for children from more working class backgrounds. And they began in 1934 and had grown to 2000 members by 1939. Um, originally, um, punishment was fairly lax. It was about being warned or being raided, perhaps. But then this really stepped up in World War II as they began to become arrested and even executed. And we also had the Swing Youth, which was a group um, comprised of upper middle class children. And these were heavily influenced by listening to music, which was banned um, for being degenerate, um, such as jazz and swing. And we know that teachers were a crucial element to the success of indoctrination through schools. And by 1936, over 30% of teachers were members of the NSDAP. Um, and they also were pressured to join the National Socialist Teachers League. Um, and by 1937, 90% of teachers had joined. So having covered children, we're now going to go on to women. Women were expected to be the mothers of the Aryan race. And policies focused on their roles as childbearers and housewives. So crucial to this is the policy of Gleichschaltung, which means bringing into line. So the women had to um, be brought into the folds of the Nazi regime and be complicit with it. So we firstly had the NSF, which was the Nazi women's organisation. And this coordinated all existing women's organisations to ensure they were in line with Nazi policy and philosophy. There was also the Reich Mother's Service, and this looked after pregnant women and young mothers, including those who, who were unmarried. Um, and it's really interesting, that fact there, because it shows that despite the Nazis' um, ideals about perfect families and mothers raising children, the main aim was actually pronatalism, which was having lots of kids, and they could actually sacrifice um, the social norms of, you know, having married parents if it meant that you had children. So it was actually better to be unmarried and have a child than it was to be married and to not be able to bear children. So that's a really interesting fact about the kind of inner contradictions of the NSDAP. Um, moving on, we also have the DAF, which was the German Women's Enterprise. And the DAF ran mother schools. They taught women how to be mothers and housewives um, in line with Nazi ideology. And the leader of this was Gertrude Schultz Klink. Um, and she was a kind of um, ideal for many women who they aspired to be. There were also several laws and policies which restricted women. For example, in 1933, the law for the reduction of unemployment was passed. And as we know, it's because the Nazis came to power because of their policies about in response to the Great Depression and reducing unemployment. Uh, and the way that they tackled this so effectively, um, and I say that in speech marks because it's not really true, is that they asked um, married women to give up their jobs um, and they offered loans to them to do this. So this is part of the invisible unemployment, which we covered before. 
1933, women were actually banned from jobs in the top tier of the civil service and medical professions. In 1936, women were banned from being lawyers or judges, and university places for women were restricted to be 10%. And there were also policies to increase the birth rate in Germany. In 1933, the law for the encouragement of marriage gave newlyweds loans and there were higher taxes placed on childless couples. Similarly, in 1938, divorce was made easier. So this was the aim of freeing up unproductive couples to find partners with whom they could have children. Um, information on contraception was restricted and penalties for abortion were raised. Propaganda um, also focused on pronatalism. Um, for example, the motherhood cross rewarded women for bearing um, four or more children. And the Lebensborn program was also set up in 1935. And this is when the state um, set up this scheme where Aryan women could become pregnant by SS men and create this kind of super child who was the perfect ideal of Aryanism. There were also policies to limit undesirable births. For example, in January 1934, the forced sterilisation of undesirables began, um, and this began in mental health hospitals. Um, some homosexuals or asocial gypsies and mixed-race children were sterilised, which means they could no longer have children. And in October 1935, the blood protection law prevented marriages of an Aryan to a Jew, black person or gypsy, um, and fitness to marry certificates were also required. So what was the impact of this on women in day-to-day -day life? Nazi women's organisations actually gave many girls and women more opportunities. So this challenges um, your traditional interpretation that the Nazis were very domineering and oppressive for women. Um, they actually did get opportunities. Most women were in low-paid, hard work, and they welcomed the financial incentives to marry and have children. Healthcare and support for pregnant women and new mothers um, improved during the Nazi period, and the number of women actually in the workforce increased, so women in non-professional jobs were not restricted. Um, however, women in professions and higher education were very restricted with their opportunities. So it's kind of a mixed bag for women in their different points in society. Um, so how do historians assess the Nazi policies towards women? The average number of children per marriage fell from 3.6 in 1933 to 3.3 in 1939. Um, and the birth rate rose slightly compared with the Depression period, which was 1929-1933. Um, however, some historians accredit this to economic optimism rather than um, directly a result of Nazi policies. Um, and we know that women working outside the home actually increased from 4.2 million in 1933 to 6.2 million in 1939. Um, and this was actually 35% of married women aged 16 to 65. Frever in 1988 said that life for women did not change hugely. Women gained more opportunities. Um, however, Pine completely disagrees and says that the Nazi state aimed to mould the family into, quote, a breeding and rearing institution. So again, very different policies about um, the Nazi policies towards women. So we know in terms of policies to increase Aryan births, there were the law for the encouragement of marriage. Um, gave newlyweds loans, it was easier to get divorced, there were restrictions on contraceptions and higher penalties on getting an abortion, and there were taxes for childless couples. Thank you very much for listening to this episode um, about Nazi policies towards youth and women. Next time we're going to be talking about workers and the church. 
If this episode has got you in the mood for more revision, then head over to SenecaLearning.com where you can revise all of your A-level subjects absolutely free. And if you're on Apple Podcasts or Anchor, then you will find a link in the bio. But if not, just type in SenecaLearning.com and you'll find us. While you're at it, if you could rate us five stars and subscribe or follow to all of our revised podcasts, which cover every subject you need, then that will help other people to find our podcasts.